This is episode 100, special listener questions episode. I will be doing a brief update on the news toward the end, uh, but generally speaking, this episode is about your questions, your thoughts, and uh, I'll give you some answers. Uh, It's been 100 episodes. It's been amazing. Looking forward to uh, talking about various listener questions and comments. Welcome to Inside Israel News, your home for unbiased and thorough analysis of Israeli news, politics, current events in the Middle East, and world news. Or as the internet trolls say, mouthpiece of the Zionist conspiracy, spokesman for the elders of Zion, highly paid propagandist of the Mossad. Yeah, no. This is Inside Israel News. I'm your host, Isaac Kite. Welcome back, insiders. It has been a while, hasn't it? Uh, It's been over a month since I've been able to record an episode. So much going on. I can't even, I can't even, I don't know where to start. (laughs) I don't know what to say. Uh, first of all, I got sick um, late in July, and <clears throat> after, you know, sometimes I get an illness and I get a terrible bronchitis that follows it for weeks and weeks and weeks. So um, that uh, that makes recording kind of complicated, and ups and downs in life and uh, career stuff. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I've been working as a consultant and uh, self-employed for a while now. Eventually, every once in a while, that really great job is offered to you uh, as a consultant, and that's a really big deal. So that's going to mean a little bit of a change for me, and I'll try to keep up the recording schedule. But, uh, you know, good, you know, mazel tov for me. <laughs> I got I got a good thing. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be a really good thing uh, for, for that. So as always, yours truly your gregarious Vulcan with rational, you know, rational thought, reason, sanity, and a world gone mad, your mad genius, uh, and, uh, and all that good stuff, um, <clears throat> you know, here to, uh, to talk about listener questions and, and all that kind of, uh, thing for this show. Uh, there, I'm going to start with something silly. Um, it would be you know, it would be even funnier if people didn't take it so seriously. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that does make it funnier. It's it's hilarious. So <clears throat> every year, uh, a number of the Orthodox, uh, there's there's a group of, of people in Judaism called the Hasidim. They make up most of the Orthodox. Hasidic Jews have these Rebbe's, these, these really prominent rabbis that uh, they thought were really, really magical and, and really, you know, mystical and really special people. One of whom, Rabbi uh, Nachman, is very famous for the Breslovers, and uh, they like to go every year to Ukraine <clears throat> to uh, visit his grave on uh, Rosh Hashanah, the, the beginning of the, the year in the fall. So uh, this year, of course, that area of Ukraine is a war zone, right? And it doesn't have, you know, there's not a lot of uh, housing for the tourists, uh, the Ukrainians, in terms of shelters, if the if the place comes under attack, they they barely have enough places for their own people, let alone for tourists. So, Bibi Netanyahu was warning people maybe maybe not to go this year, <clears throat> maybe we wait till things settle down, right? And he said, uh, as part of this, he said, look, you know, God doesn't always protect our people, uh, especially in Europe and Ukraine, right? And he's just making the point that look, you know, you can't just you can't just count on 
divine protection when it comes to, um, you know, a war zone. It's dangerous, right? And the uh, some of the rabbis uh, among the Hasidim are going completely beshiga, completely nuts. They are out there, you know, he's blaspheming against Torah because he... He said that God doesn't protect the Jews. No, that's not what he said. He said God doesn't always protect the Jews. And some people are a little sensitive to it because it, it's kind of obviously a, a, a reference to the Holocaust. Then there a little bit, you know, and this kind of stuff. <clears throat> it was just making a valid point. Uh, the Arabs have this great saying that says, trust in, in Allah, but tie up your camel, Right. You know, there, there's a point to being prudent, to taking proper precautions. We've all heard the old joke about, you know, there's a flood and and uh, the water's up to the guy's uh, waist and, and a boat comes by and, and says, hey, you know, we'll, we'll take you to land, to dry land. And the guy says, no, 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 God will save me. Another boat comes by as the water's up to his neck and they say, uh, you know, uh, we'll take you to dry land. Come with us. And he says, no, no, God will save me. And at the last, he's holding onto this piece of wood. He's almost falling into the water. A helicopter comes by and, and he says, uh, you know, I, I, no, no, no. I, I, I'm waiting for God to save me. God will save me. Uh, you guys go. So he drowns. He gets to, to heaven and he's talking to God and he says, God, uh, why didn't you save me? And God's like, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. Right. You know, there's a, there's a point to be made that sometimes you just don't do something stupid, right? I mean, if you if you drive too fast, if you drink and get behind the wheel, if you do things that are dangerous, there can be very, very terrible repercussions. So if you deliberately travel to a war zone during a war, bad things can happen to you. Uh, the Russians are, are very anti-Semitic. Uh, long history of that going way back into the SARS and the pogroms and, and all this kind of problem. Uh, Vladimir Putin wouldn't shed the, the he wouldn't even think of shedding a tear if a missile fell uh, during this procession and killed a number of Haredi people. And be like, oh, isn't that too bad? Fewer Jews in the world, right? What would, what would he care? So these rabbis who are attacking Bibi are being called out. And I have a new, somewhat comical way of calling them out. Uh, and I'm saying that they are nuts. And I want, you know, <clears throat> I just want to say, uh, it is not blasphemy to be rational in Judaism, to say, you know, to be prudent, to try to protect yourself. We have all kinds of stories in our, among our, you know, from our sages or from uh, our history of people being uh, slick, if you will, being, um, you know, Dealing shrewdly, as the translation is, dealing shrewdly with people, being careful, right? Making sure that they are uh, protecting themselves and keeping themselves safe. So we have that long tradition. This is nonsense. So, uh, you know, I'm driving in the car uh, not too long ago, listening to some music, and I had my son with me. And one of the songs comes on was a song I, I've always loved from uh, Guns N' Roses. Yes, I, I like GNR. I guess I'm I'm aging myself a little. Anyway, uh, you know when I was when I was a kid, if you listened to GNR, it meant you were a bad kid. So um, that that was me. I was a bad kid. Anyway, the uh, you know the good Jewish boy, bad kid. You decide. But but in any case, I thought I was a bad kid, and um, listening to this to this song, one of one of their one of their songs is uh, "Hair of the Dog." 
and it involves a little bit of foul language. But uh, listening to the song, my, my son told me, he said, you know, if I were singing the song, I would say, now you're now you're messing with a son of a mensch. You can insert the other expletive there. And get it. So, uh, so now I have the, a new segment in the show where I'm going to call out people uh, for saying something stupid. And it's, you know, it's the son of a mensch. So, so now... You know, you Haredi rabbis who are nuts over there, now you're messing with the son of a mensch. So, you know, uh, I called you out. You, you guys are nuts. And uh, that's our new segment. So let's, we'll, we'll rock out to that. Now you're messing with a son of a mensch. Okay, anyway, I'm not Axl Rose. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to sing again in the future. Okay, so <laughs> great, uh, great segment there. Um, before I begin the listener segment, I have a quick thing, kind of a really cool thing. I happened to be in Utah recently, and I stopped by at the Fort Douglas Military Museum. I told you guys you'd get a shout-out in the next episode, so here's your shout-out, uh, volunteers and staff at the Fort Douglas Military Museum. Went there, got a, a tour with one of my boys, and... Um, <clears throat> just, they have a lot of great military equipment, stuff you can't see everywhere. One of the most awesome things they have there is the actual battle flag of the Buffalo Soldiers uh, who fought at San Juan, uh, San Juan Hill in Cuba in 1898. Uh, The Buffalo Soldiers, for those of you in Rio Linda, as we say, you know, quoting Rush Limbaugh, uh, were the black cavalry cavalry officers and soldiers uh, of the U.S. Army in the late uh, 19th century. So the uh, the Buffalo Soldiers went into battle there. Uh, they saved Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders butts, and uh, several of the the Rough Riders wrote about you know, kind of, you know, a little bit uh, uh, maybe maybe a little bit muffled. Uh, but you know, if you read what they wrote, they even they admit that yeah, the, these black soldiers saved our butts. You know, we were we were about to get whacked, and they charged in uh, with uh, incredible courage and saved the. Uh, uh, the U.S. Army at San Juan Hill, and allowed you know Teddy Roosevelt to make his famous charge up the hill and and win the day that ultimately led to his meteoric rise to the presidency. In any case, um, so the Fort Douglas Military Museum is really awesome. A lot of great history there. A lot of great Oregon Trail stuff. You know, so I live in in Kansas, and you know, Oregon Trail begins back in Missouri. So, you know, you you have a lot of history of the the various uh, explorers, American explorers like John C. Fremont and Kit Carson and others, going through there and finding um, different routes. And during their attempts to find one route, of course, the Donner Party was right behind the uh, you know the the group that was uh, was searching for a better route. So. There's some Donner Party history there. I grew up in California, so that's part of uh, California history, important part there. Anyway, Fort Douglas uh, Military Museum. Now, I was a little bit, you know, the the volunteers and I were a little bit frustrated at the uh, museum's funding. It's funded through the National Guard, uh, which is fine. uh, But because of that, uh, they don't have a lot of resources. And I was a little, like, miffed they could we get a little you know they've got great military equipment helicopters and tanks and armored vehicles sitting outside and and uh self-propelled artillery uh but the, what you know they're, they're uncovered they're out in the elements you know there's no there's no uh, awning over them it would be very inexpensive to build one and uh with just a little bit just a, a little more money the museum could do a uh, a lot better you know at presenting the history they have a lot of incredible history there uh, so I'd like to see, you know, would somebody reach out? I mean, you know, 
maybe the U.S. Army, uh, which puts some funding toward a lot of museums, could pitch in. Uh, you know, maybe somebody could reach out to Mike Lee's office. Uh, I'm going to reach out to my senator and my representative back in Kansas. And uh, of course, you know, our history is tied to some of that history. It's it's part of our history too. Uh, so you know, let's let's get some help over there. The the Fort Douglas Military Museum is a really important part of American history. And there are a lot of great museums I've been to out there. I just went to the uh, the Iowa and the Midway in California recently. And uh, those are great museums. Uh, I've been to the Lexington down in Corpus and the uh, Alabama down in Mobile. And a lot of other uh, great museums all over the place. Uh, anything on strategic weapons, the, the strategic, you know, the Nuclear Warfare Museum down in Albuquerque is to die for. Like I take all, I've taken all of my older boys there. Everyone loves it. So there are some great museums to go see. Uh, Fort Douglas Military Museum uh, near uh, Salt Lake City. That's that's a, a definite must see. And I hope that they can get the resources they need in order to uh, sustain the museum and make the uh, the touring experience more pleasant. But if you happen to be in Utah, drop in, check them out. All right. Uh, recently on The Verdict, Ted Cruz had some interesting comments. He had commented on some thoughts from Bill Maher. Uh, you know, Bill Maher, aside from, you know, being psychotically anti-Trump, <laughs> having Trump derangement syndrome to a certain degree, uh, has been calling out the woke crowd on a lot of things, uh, including and especially the trans agenda. And that is um, that is a good thing. I mean, he's been, you know, talking about... Uh, <sighs> debunking some of the the woke ideas out there and uh, trying to explain that there are more sides to this story than just one. Uh, So that was an interesting episode. Uh, And of course, uh, Ted talks about how they're trying to brush the whole Hunter Biden thing uh, under the rug. And the more information we're finding out about the bribery scandal with Joe Biden, it's, it's getting really hairy. So check out the verdict and, uh, you know, find out what uh, Senator Cruz has to say. And that will keep you informed on all of these legal issues and legislation. And, um, you know, he's talked a little bit recently about some of the legislative victories he's had. They've done some really great things for our country. Uh, so that's that's all good. All right. Listener questions and comments. <coughs> right. So I'm going to start off with listener Stephen. Uh, it's, it's short and sweet, but uh, listener Stephen, you know who you are, Stephen. Uh, he likes the format. Uh, he has, um, I, I've tried a, a number of different formats originally, you know, I was just talking about Israeli news and then I incorporated more world news because, you know, people were asking about Europe and I'd make references and allusions to Europe and then again, the European news and then world news. So the show has expanded and broadened in scope, right? And of course there's this war in Ukraine and a lot of stuff going on. So now, um, you know, the the show covers so much more and the episodes could be really long. So I tried separating them for a time into Israel news episodes and world news episodes. Uh, I tried other formats. Um, and I think that basically what I, I came down to is the new format that I've been running last uh, few episodes where I'll briefly discuss a couple of things going on here in the U.S., then talk about Israeli news, then talk about world news and wrap it up. That way, you kind of get it all in one episode and it's not too long and too arduous or too in-depth into any of the one thing. And then if issues come up that require special attention, I'll just make a whole episode about it. Right. You know, like I could, I could do, I I talked a lot about the strategic weapons situation. I've talked about uh, war games with China. So I'll, I'll talk about those things as, as they come up. 
So Stephen likes the new format, and he's been enjoying some of the comedy. My my poetry I wrote about finding uh, uh, <laughs> finding blow in the White House, finding cocaine in the White House, and uh, you know, well I don't know, Stephen. Maybe now you're messing with the son of a mensch. So there you go. Okay, so that's um, so that's there. Listener David. Shout out to listener David. Uh, he likes the focus on the big picture. Uh, he really liked my episode on the competing political narratives. It's something he'd been thinking about too, but he hadn't quite put it into those kinds of words. But about how, you know, basically both sides live in their own world now. Like, you know, those of us on the right can't talk to people on the Like, we don't live in the same universe. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we can't share the same facts. You know, I'll talk to people. I'll be like, it's a fact that this such and such thing happened. And they'll be like, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. If it's good, Trump didn't do anything good. So it's bad. You can't, you can't say that happened. So, you know, it gets crazy. Um, but listener David, uh, you know, he appreciated that episode and how I take a moment every now and then to pull back and just look at the big picture and, and talk about the big things going on. So thank you, listener David. Appreciate the comment. Uh, listener Daniel or Daniel, <clears throat> uh, he likes the honesty and my effort to cover all the sides and try to um, make a fair analysis. Uh, he lives in Israel, uh, listener Daniel, and he has been uh, frustrated. Uh, he's commented this before, so you know he commented it again. So uh, he's been frustrated. The Israeli news is very biased. If you listen to the right wing news, it's all about things that are good for the right and not and bad for the left. Left wing news is all about left wing, you know, kind of like a, the two competing narratives I was just talking about. Uh, so you, you have a hard time figuring out who's telling the truth, what to believe. Right. And he just likes that when I do my news analysis, I, I'll tell you the right is saying this. The Israeli left is saying that the media is saying that whatever. And, you know, kind of now you kind of have a big picture of what everybody's saying and then I, I maneuver my way through it. And of course, I tell you what I think too. Uh, I'll come to that in a minute. But uh, he, he thinks it's better than the Israeli news because he gets more information and uh, less bias right here. You know, and I, I have my own opinions, which I, I tell you guys, uh, so you can filter out my bias. But anyway, appreciate that very, very much, listener Daniel. Um, now, listener Austin, who is a member of Gen Z, no cap. Uh, listener Austin knows who he is. Shout out. Uh, listener Austin had a very interesting commentary. Uh, he likes how I don't give a f blank <laughs> in uh, common Gen Z parlance. That's the period T, no cap. So um, that's that's a, a little comedy there. Uh, in, in their language, that means that I say what I think, what I believe to be true, and I don't really care what people think about it. Uh, you know, I'll just say what I think needs to be said. And uh, he noted that while what I have to say is not crazy or out there or outlandish, you know, um, I say what I think I, I need to say, whether, you know, right-wing listeners are going to like it or not, whether left-wing listeners are, are going to like it or not. And I have a, quite a few listeners all across the political spectrum. And I just tell you straight up, my analysis and my opinions, and uh, you're free to make your own determinations. Oh, Isaac's right about this. I think he's got he's got you know hammer got the 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 nail on the head there, uh, you know. Or oh no, he's he's Michigan. He's crazy. He has no idea on this. Well, you you're free to make up your own opinion. 
but you'll know mine. You'll know it's an informed opinion, and you know that I'm I'm not just telling you what you want to hear so that I can you know pull your leg and you know try to try to just grow listenership by telling everybody what they want to hear. That's the easy way to do things. Being controversial, I have my own times to be controversial uh, when I need to, but. If you come here, you're going to get an honest analysis and an honest opinion, right? Not jerking your chain. Uh, and that's something that uh, listener Austin appreciates. So younger people have a tendency to be more idealistic and open to new ideas. As we get older, you know, we, we narrow our ideas. We, we Our experience of life narrows a little bit. The possibilities narrow. And there are a lot of things we just don't we aren't open to anymore. And so I really appreciate the younger generation and their enthusiasm, people like uh, listener Austin, to go out there and challenge ideas, you know, and, and ask the questions. And, um, you know, he wants to hear people just, just tell, you know, young people appreciate when you just tell them what you think is true because everyone's always beating about the bush and, oh, I don't want to offend anyone, you know, oh, God, you know, God help that I should say something. Somebody's going to get upset. Oh, they're going to yell and scream, you know. If you tell them what you think and why, it's the why that young people, I think, really need to understand, because there's a reason why, you know, traditional values work, right? We, 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 all those people, you know, oh, we don't have to have a traditional two parent family, but it works. All right. The why is that it works. People grow up happier with two parents. They're less likely to be in poverty, to live in poverty as children and less likely to live in poverty as adults. They're more likely to commit crimes if they do not have a two-parent family. Uh, you know, almost all of the mass murderers come out of single-parent situations, usually the mother, uh, occasionally something else, but broken families, broken homes. Uh, and, you know, children who are not raised by a two-parent family are, they, they, they don't tend to have very good educational outcomes. They tend to commit crimes at a much higher rate. They don't tend to be very successful in life. You said they're more likely to live in poverty. So there's a why, right? And so I remember when I was young and, and a little more radical, I appreciated the why too. <clears throat> and so he appreciates that I take a little bit of time on the why. But more importantly, I just tell people what I think. And you like it or not, agree or disagree, it's something to think about, right? So I, I appreciate that. Thank you, listener Austin. Uh, listener Michelle was telling me how she liked the bonus episodes, like the episode on the Abraham Accords and the one I did on Yemen. Uh, issues you don't hear about a lot, just things that, that needed to be said uh, and good analysis on some of the bonus episodes. So thank you, listener Michelle. Uh, and yeah, I, I like to cover things that you don't hear about. Um, if you listen to Inside Israel News, you'll be well informed. You'll know things that are going to happen. I mean, if you if you look around, you know, look around. Ask some of your friends, some of your more uh, erudite friends who are paying attention, right? They're they're plugged into the news and commentary. Ask them about deglobalization. Ask them about demographic winter. Ask them about the geopolitical changes that are going on in the world. I guarantee you, most of them. I, I maybe some of them will surprise you. Most of them will never have heard any of these terms. <clears throat> most of them will have no idea what's coming down the road. Uh, you know, I, and I've heard people, you know, who have just completely clueless. Most people are completely clueless about these things. But if you listen to the show, you'll know what I'm talking about, because I'm talking about the things that are happening now, the trends, the history, what's likely to happen in the future, because these are the things that are happening now. So you'll be well informed and you'll have, you know, uh, an insight into the topics. Uh, listener Mario enjoys the occasional humor. Thank you, listener Mario. 
uh, Mario is uh, saying he is himself doing some stand-up and, and learning to be funny. And, uh, you know, he, he enjoyed the poem and he enjoys an occasional laugh. I'm trying to be more entertaining and more humorous. Uh, the topics are often dry and serious, and so that can be difficult. But, uh, you know, I try. Uh, and uh, I will continue to make an effort. <clears throat> but... Um, you know, you can always go back and listen to the uh, the poem about finding cocaine in the White House, which was uh, rather amusing. <clears throat> so, um, that uh, <laughs> like I said, I, I try to be funny every once in a while, right? Okay, listener Ed uh, wanted to know about the judicial reforms, <clears throat> and he asked, "What's the big deal? <clears throat> What's going on?" Right. Uh, and, you know, you hear all this hoopla about, you know, BB and the reform the protests and all this kind of thing. I've talked about it a lot in a lot of episodes. And just briefly, I mean, back to the competing narratives, people on the right in Israel. Well, so, you know, the Israeli Supreme Court is very powerful and it interferes in politics quite a bit. That's an objective truth. Whether the left wants to admit it or not, it is true that the Israeli Supreme Court interferes with right wing governments far more than left wing. Uh, and uh, prevents them from implementing policies. Now, these right-wing governments were elected. It's not like they're undemocratic or something. Uh, and while not every policy that the left or right embraces is legal or healthy or good, uh, it should not be the Supreme Court going in all the time and making those determinations, some believe. So on the right, they're saying, because the Supreme Court is interfering in all these things, we want to change the way judges are selected. We want to give the, the Knesset the ability to push back. And uh, they argue that they have the means to do that because Israel has a sovereign parla parliament. A sovereign parliament means that the Knesset can pass by a majority vote anytime it wants, amendments to the basic law. The basic law is kind of a constitution, not really. It's the it's the bylaws, basically. If you've been in any kind of corporation or nonprofit, you have bylaws. That's basically what it is. They can be changed, uh, but, you know, they're, they're the rules that are supposed to govern how everything works. And they're, they're supposed to be difficult to change a little bit. You know, you don't just go in and change willy-nilly, right? Um, and, uh, slapdash, you're supposed to think about, you think, you know, all, all of this. So there you go. Uh, the, uh, so the right is arguing that they should implement these reforms. The initial reforms were a little out there giving the Knesset an override on the Supreme court would have been a bit much. I think, I tell you my opinions, uh, the Israeli people seem to have thought so too. A lot of protests, a lot of people were against it. So BB stepped back from that and came up with more moderate reforms, which have passed. Uh, they've taken, just, just modified the way the Supreme Court makes decisions, taking away one particular legal standard, the reasonableness standard that the Supreme Court was using to try to strike down these laws. So it, it's more of a nudge back at the Supreme Court rather than a sucker punch, you know, or a, a kick to the groin. I mean, you know, the, the override would have been a bit much. And, and people are pointing out there's a lot of danger in an override. Suppose that there's a law that's discriminatory or, um, <clears throat> you know, bills of attainder, laws against free speech, things of that nature, tyrannical laws, you might say, overbearing oppressive laws. If the Supreme Court struck down one of those and the Knesset could override them, then, you know, there's no rule of law. Right. And that is a fair point. 
the idea of that was that it would be very narrow situations where the, the Knesset could override the Supreme Court. So that was never really on the table in the first place. But they had a fair point on the left, in my opinion, on that. Like I said, BB came back with some more moderate reforms. Those have been implemented. And the world did not come to an end. The sky did not fall. Fire and brimstone did not fall in Jerusalem. Uh, Israel did not sink into the ocean. You know, swarms of locusts did not descend upon the crops. Uh, there was a big yawn. The sun rose the next day. Everyone got up and went to work and did their things. And, and all the things were normal. Life went on. So, you know, at this point, I don't think they're going to go too far, too much farther on the judicial reforms. But the big deal is the left says it, it destroys the rule of law, democracy, freedom, all of that good stuff. And the right says, you know, the court's stepping on their toes and they want to stop it. So uh, that's the big deal. And, you know, you have to admit judicial reforms are a hairy subject, right? In the U.S., talk of stacking the Supreme Court during the FDR administration back in, in 38 and today uh, by the Democrats, uh, those those are very dangerous. You know, the idea that you could just circumvent the court by just changing its makeup or whatever, it's very dangerous territory. And so you have to tread lightly. And that's why I'm glad that more moderate reforms have been pursued. But that's why it's a big deal. Listener Ed, thank you for the question. Excellent, excellent question. And uh, you get your shout out. Uh, listener Sharon likes that while I state my opinions, which are clearly somewhat center right, <laughs> you know, in the U.S. and in Israel to a certain extent, uh, I'm fair to the left. Uh, listener Sharon is a, an Israeli and on the left, um, and she likes the commentary that I give and uh, helps her better understand what what the right's position is. And, uh, you know, so back to kind of listener Daniel the people who make the news are often the people on the extremes, the, the yelling, screaming, noisy, angry, red faced people who are, you know, the Supreme Court destroying the country and the people on the left. You know, it's always the, the people out there shouting, you know, democracy is coming to an end. You, you don't hear from like rational people on the street saying the things that I just said a minute ago um, about judicial reforms, about what's reasonable, what's moderate, <clears throat> what's actually in the proposal versus what people's concerns are and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, you don't hear a lot of that. And so she appreciates that, that I go there. And while she doesn't agree with me on a lot of politics, uh, she did uh, indicate that she appreciates the fairness to the left and uh, that, you know, this is this show gives you a better insight into what's going on in Israeli politics and you can kind of understand it. And it's not all one sided. Like you're not just getting one side of the story here. Uh, and that's really important to me. Uh, one of the reasons I do a little bit of conservative commentary in American politics is uh, kind of following on, on Rush Limbaugh's point that for a long time, the media has trumpeted the left's version of things. And he felt that it was his duty to tell the other side of the story to make sure that people knew what the other opinion, the other point of view was, so that it wasn't always one-sided. Well, thank you, Rush Limbaugh, for doing that, the late Rush Limbaugh, late great. Uh, and I continue to do that a little bit, too. I'm telling you the other side of the story. Well, you know, in Israel, if you're unless you're getting the Israeli news, you don't get either side of the story. You get the little snippets that we get on the news that are always quick, short, and stupid. Because no matter what happens, even when you get a great commentator, commentator um, on there, uh, you get people who 
um, try to say, you know, in, in two minutes, something rational, it, it's very short and you don't get a complete picture. So that's why what I try to do here. Uh, I try to help. Uh, listener Connie wanted to know why she and most of the Jews she knows, Connie, uh, listener Connie is Jewish, uh, one of uh, an American secular Jew. She wants to know why she and most of the Jews she knows don't know anything about the stuff I talk about. Like, why are Jews, a lot of Jews, completely ignorant about Israel, have no idea? Now, she's listening now, so she's informed, but she's been kind of awed by all the things that are going on and all of the nuances and layers and all the stuff I've been talking about. And she's just like, you know, how, how come we don't know any of this stuff? Like, you know, oh my God, this, you know, there's, there's a lot to know. And American Jews are, you know, in our own circles, even when you're going to shul, when you're, you're doing your thing, uh, you know, you can be very, it, it's easy to be ignorant of all these things. None of this stuff gets talked about. Uh, you know, I remember showing up at a shul years ago and I was chatting with a guy and I, I said something about uh, the some tech company in Israel. It's like, oh, wow, that, that's really interesting. I didn't know Israel had a big tech industry. And I'm like, it's the fastest growing economy in the developed world. It's got all these tech, you know, startup, more startups per capita, all this stuff. You know, I've talked a little bit about the Israeli economy and business. Very innovative, new medicines coming up all the time, new technologies, new chips, uh, new high tech stuff. A lot of uh, companies like Intel do R&D in Israel. Um and he just had no idea. He was just astounded. Wow, you know, that's that's amazing. I why didn't I know this? Well, same thing that that Connie's asking here. Like, why don't Jews know these things? <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, there's been there's been a, a culture, you know, these communities are kind of built around, and they haven't talked about a lot of stuff. Uh, but um, you know, unless some of these issues kind of come to fore you don't talk about it. I mean, oftentimes, you know, you'll have a, an Israeli family living in the community, uh, you know, that they've invited to come out or, uh, you know, you, some of the members of the shul will go take a visit to Israel. And you'll, so you'll get a little bit of information there, but not a complete story. And, you know, again, listen to Connie, why don't I know this stuff? Like, you know, we're Jews. We should, we should be more informed. Well, listener Connie is informed. Thank you for, uh, you know, commenting and, and knowing, you know, for being informed yourself and you can tell your friends about Inside Israel News and uh, the things you hear here. So that's uh, that's that. Uh, listener Tom commented, and this is, this is kind of an interesting commentary. He said, at first it was over my head, but after a couple of episodes, I started to, to get what you were talking about. I try to make the show accessible I have lots of intellectual ideas in my head. I can't always define things. I don't always know what people do or don't know. Um, I try. Thank you that eventually you caught on, <laughs> but uh, I will try. I, I try to make the language accessible. I try to define terms when I can and um, make sure that you understand when I say things like parliamentary, like sovereign parliament versus parliamentary sovereignty, these kinds of things. I'll define the terms so that you understand what I'm talking about. I try. I really do. Um, so if it goes over your head, just he's telling you, just be patient, listen a few episodes and you'll get there. Cool. Well, I'm glad that listener Tom uh, has uh, been able to get there. Um, so I have one more listener comment, and that's going to be a little bit longer. Uh, impacts, you know, affects the judicial reform. So before I go into that, I want to thank everyone for their questions, everyone for their comments. And of course, thank you all for listening. Uh, the whole purpose of this show is for me to put information out there for you guys so that you can hear different opinions and, and new ideas and new ways of, of seeing the world, if you will. And 
I hope that uh, it is informative and, and that you get something out of it. That's always my goal. And uh, like, try to, like I said, I'll try to be a little more entertaining. Uh, I will continue not to give a blank, as listener Austin said, and I will uh, continue to do what I can to give you uh, honest analysis and uh, all that and filter out some of the bias, explain some of the things that are going on. And of course, I, like I said, I tell you my opinion so you can filter out even my own bias. And that way uh, you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, and as always, you, like I say, you're gregarious Vulcan. I'm, you know, going to be, you know, less emotional. And you know, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes these things are emotional when, when people get killed and there's horrible things going on. But I try. <laughs> I try. All right. When I come back from the break, talk about uh, listener Itai had uh, is um, someone who has signed the petition, uh, is an Israeli reservist who has signed the petition against the judicial reforms. And you know, he listens to the show. He didn't feel that I had explained their position as well as I could have. So in all fairness, I am going to go through some of the points he wanted to make so that uh, I can make it clear what the anti-reform crowd in Israel is really thinking and feeling. Uh, and uh, that I, I wanted to share with you so that, you know, again, uh, in the interests of full and, you know, being fully informed, you can know uh, all the things that are going on. And uh, he liked my commentary. Of course, he, he certainly prefers it to people who, you know, you can listen to some talking heads about Israel and they don't know really what's going on. And they just, you know, talk about Israel. They don't really understand Israel. And there are some people who understand Israel very well, but who give you just an agenda. You know, they just want you to know this thing about Israel instead of the whole thing, picture. Uh, and, you know, I want you to know both sides and I want you to know both sides with such, you know, it's so important to me that you know all of this that I'm going to uh, go ahead and, and share some of those thoughts with you so that you'll understand what the protest and why is about and why members of Israel's military reserves are refusing to serve if called up uh, because of the judicial reforms. My friends, if you are interested in American history, political philosophy, uh, and life skills, uh, I encourage you to go check out The Isaac Kite Show, my other podcast, where Lord Isaac, your Earl of Excellence, gives uh, interesting advice, talks about uh, history, uh, tells stories about uh, various American battles in American history. I've, I've also talked a lot about liberty and how uh, the concept of liberty developed and how America was founded. And I'll be continuing in that thread uh, in the future. So if you're interested in learning about that, go check out The Isaac Kite Show. It is available on Spotify. Not yet available on Apple Podcasts, uh, but you can, you can find it on Spotify and uh, you can check it out there. So I hope you will give it a listen. One last question came up uh, before I begin this segment. It's been a, a few days since I had a chance to record uh, between recording sessions. It's been a busy time. So <clears throat> in the meantime, one more question came up. thought I'd go ahead and answer one more listener question. Tony wants to know, and you know who you are, Tony, wants to know, what is a Lonsman? <laughs> I thought it was great. I use a lot of Yiddish terms on here that uh, my fellow Jews will have a, a good laugh about. <clears throat> but um, 
you know, those who don't know, don't know. So, uh, you know, what, what's a Lonsman? Uh, yeah, so we have terms like this. A, a lawnsman is exactly kind of what it says. Uh, man of the land, right? <clears throat> refers to somebody who's simple, working class, that kind of thing. These days, uh, you know, used to refer to farmers and, and people who worked on the land. So, you know, a lawnsman is, is a simple man who <clears throat> who's out working, you know, on the field. Well, um, like I said, today it, it represents a, a working class person, a schmo who, you know, is out uh, out working for a living, <clears throat> trying to, to survive. Um, I've kind of joked uh, about how I'm the working class intellectual or what have you, because I do a lot of stuff with the working class, but <clears throat> I'm, uh, you know, kind of bright sometimes. As I mentioned in the last segment, listener Itai wanted to clarify a few points on those who are protesting against the judicial reforms. And since I'm I want to say open-minded to them, and I, I would accept moderate reform, uh, and I don't really have a problem with the reforms to the degree that they've taken place up till now, uh, although some of the proposals have been out there, as I've told you guys. And like I tell you guys, the way I keep this unbiased is I tell you both sides of the story and I tell you my own opinion. That way you know what I'm thinking and you can filter out any bias. In any case... Um, he wanted to make sure that uh, that their side was heard. And he had a few more points that I hadn't really raised. So since this is a listener episode, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and go through some of it. Uh, at the very least, as I explained a couple times before in the show, it's really important to understand both sides of an issue. To me, right? <clears throat> I try to understand left, right, and whatever. And increasingly... People on both sides here in the U.S. can live in fantasy worlds sometimes, uh, mostly the left. But, you know, there are a few people on the right who are out there. Um, but we have to, you know, we have to try to understand one another. We have to get into a place where we can have a conversation, in theory. So with the judicial reforms, <clears throat> the first thing is the, is the atmosphere, the political atmosphere in Israel right now. And... Um, it's one of those things where, like, the first issue is, you know, are these the people to be making a reform, right? So, for example, you know, we had a proposal here in the U.S. to, to expand the Supreme Court, right, the, to pack the court because uh, it's making decisions that the Democrats don't like. Uh, but you have to ask, I mean, would, would the Democrats in Congress be the ones to make that reform, now that that are so self-interested would you would you want that you know kind of like when fdr tried to do it back in 37 38 not a not a good not a good time not the right people you know i, I you know a lot of people trusted fdr to make economic reforms uh, most people didn't trust him to mess with the judiciary right so that's back to that but in any case um uh, during the Obama years, I was skeptical of any reform. I mean, even the reforms that he, he made that I liked, for example, allowing more private investment or private in involvement in spaceflight uh, that led to SpaceX. I was a big proponent. I was a big fan. It's like one of, I, I count them on one hand, the policies of the Obama administration that I thought were a good idea. Uh, but even there, like I didn't, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of suspicious. Are the, the, the people who gave a whole bunch of money to Solyndra uh, you know, solar power company that was basically a, you know, a scam. Uh, you know, are those the people you want to be opening up space exploration, a multi-billion dollar industry to private? Ind it turned out okay, but through no fault of the Obama administrations. It was 
what made private space exploration feasible was that Elon Musk jumped in and uh, made some huge progress. And um, not to say, you know, obviously Blue Horizons, Jeff Bezos' uh, attempt has made some some progress here and there. Um, you know, if their rockets will fly, you know, SpaceX is already <laughs> up there flying. Uh, and obviously the usual space companies, Boeing and, and Lockheed Martin and all of those that have already, they, they've made their contributions, but Elon Musk really revolutionized it. Uh, and I should say Virgin Galactic has, has done some, you know, made some progress as well. In any case, <clears throat> my point here, Itai and the, and the protesters are against of these reforms, first and foremost, because of the people who are making them and the atmosphere. Obviously, they don't like Ben Gavir and the and the religious Zionists. They think they're quacks. They're very far right. They are the most far right government, you know, party that's that's ever sat in government. Uh, and uh, a lot of people think that they're dangerous. Now, so far they haven't made any policies that have been dangerous, but that doesn't mean that they won't. Um, I don't know. That's just me. I, I'm looking at it and saying the evidence, you know, so far, you know, has been pretty fair. I think if they did try to do anything really radical, they did get in a lot of trouble. Anyway, so there's been a, a change in the political culture as a result of these parties coming to power, these far right parties and Bibi Netanyahu. And there's just this feeling that, you know, political gifts, there's been an opening to political gifts. You know, I go back and forth on that. On the one hand, I think that, um, it's not good for you to receive a gift if you're making policies. You know, you don't want to, you know, like the like the Bidens. You don't want to make policies so that you get a new car or, you know, the push push for a law so that you get a house, you know, a vacation home or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, on the other hand, I'd rather that be public knowledge. You know, I'd rather it be above board. In Israel, they have a lot of problems with money being kicked back. You know, I, I know... Uh, I have a bunch of friends over there who work in the construction industry. And every time they go into some town somewhere to build a, a high rise, uh, a condo, a business, a group of, you know, business offices, anything like that, uh, they, you know, they go to meet with the mayor and the mayor's all for it and very excited. And, and by the way, you know, do you think you could put, you know, a quarter million shekels into my favorite charity? Right. Which charity mostly, you know, pays the mayor and the mayor's wife money to to be charitable, to to look charitable. Right. That kind of thing. So there's a lot of there's a lot of that in Israel. And um, I think that uh, people are people are frustrated with that culture. There is the question of bringing some of it above board. Uh, but, you know, there was a law recently that changed that allowed more political gifts to be given. Basically, the, the law under which Arya Derry, the, the would-be interior minister, who is not interior minister because of the courts, uh, <clears throat> you know, they've passed several laws to, to clear the way for him to be interior minister. Uh, the law that, that he was prosecuted and convicted of fel felony charges under uh, basically has been reversed. And, and the kinds of gifts he was receiving, are, you're now, uh, some of those you're, you're now legally allowed to receive. And so people don't like that kind of thing. It, it feels like corruption is being made legal. And I have to say, I mean, the perception is fair, you know, politically speaking. Uh, people on the left are, are fair. You know, it, it's it's reasonable for them to believe that and be concerned about it, given the legal environment that we're in. Uh, and this guy, Arya Derry, you know, is, is like, uh, you know, with the Shas party, the, the Orthodox, uh, Sephardic Orthodox party has been a big problem for a lot of years. I'm, I'm not a fan, as you might have guessed. Uh, but then you also have to flip that over and it's like, so... 
should a person be barred from serving in the government who is popular democratically? Right. I mean, his party gets 11, 12 seats in the Knesset. He's, you know, Arya Derry is the leader of that party. Everyone knew that. Everyone who voted for him, uh, the right won the coalition. So to what degree is is there that balance between democracy and what is judicially right? And honestly, just because something is legal does not make it moral. And something being illegal does not make it immoral, just from the fact that it is illegal. Of these legal concepts of malum prohibitum and malum in se. Malum in se means it's morally wrong on the face of it. At, at, you know, it, it, is, it is, you know, obviously morally wrong. And malum prohibitum means, you know, you're, you're pre- whatever the legislature says is wrong, right? Insider trading is an example. The legislature says it's wrong. It's not fair in the marketplace. I, I agree with the law, but... It's not anything that, you know, it's, it's not like it's deliberate cheating or deliberate fraud or anything like that, uh, precisely. So anyway, <clears throat> so this is, this is the political environment that, uh, that they're in, and, and people are not too happy about it, right? Uh, the, there's this feeling that dangerous extremists are being placated, right? That these far-right people are in the government and they shouldn't be. You know, the, the far right has been churning for some time and, and frustrated and angry that, about policymaking. Uh, they finally got into office. Now they have to govern. <clears throat> Oftentimes with extreme right and extreme left, once these parties get into government, they have to become more professional or they get booted from the government very quickly. My assumption, therefore, my analysis, as I've told you many times, if, you, if you've listened to episodes going back to the election or what have you, was that if they join the government, the most dangerous things that they would want to do would not be, would be inconsistent with the general policy of the entire government. Bibi Netanyahu is not going to let anything happen. So for example, one one crank in the government proposed a bill that would make uh, proselytizing Christianity in Israel illegal. And it's like, that's a violation of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. It's stupid. You know, any quack can propose a bill. It was killed and it was quashed immediately uh, and, uh, you know, put away. It's like, but, but again, you know, you, you wonder, well, so cranks like that are part of parties who serve in the government now. That, that you know, I, I can see the concern there. <clears throat> are these the people you want making judicial reforms? I, I get it. I'm with that. Um, Bibi Netanyahu himself I've talked about the charges and all of that. A lot of people believe he's a criminal. They're they're entitled to their opinion, right? I don't necessarily share the opinion. Uh, I'm not going to say he didn't do anything wrong, as I've said before. You know, in the in the court case, the prosecution, you know, the 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 prosecution and the people who are against Bibi are all like, you know, caught him red-handed. He's guilty as sin. <clears throat> you know, lock him up, throw away the key. We're going to nail him to the wall, right? Uh, and Bibi saying, you know, I'm innocent, Lily White. I'm a lotus flower. I've never done anything wrong. Everything is great, right? And then they go into court, and it's like the, the prosecution was talking about a plea bargain, some kind of plea deal. Bibi's lawyers were talking about some kind of plea deal. In those kinds of situations, you know, that that means that you haven't got the evidence to nail him to the wall on the one hand, and he's not exactly lotus white on the other, okay? So, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff there. I'm not going to go into that again. I've gone over and over and over on the podcast. You can go back to past news episodes and and uh, get all of that. But as a result, Bibi is very unpopular with very important leaders. There are a lot of uh, Mossad 
intelligence chiefs, uh, army generals, uh, political leaders, thought leaders. Uh, there are there are journalists who are generally negative about a lot of politicians out there, and um, Ben Caspi is one of them. And he's he's uh, I, I usually like reading Ben Caspi. He's on the left, and he's articulate for being on the left. And I, they would call him center left in Israel. I would call him left. You know, in America, the American right left dynamic works differently, as I've explained before. In any case, uh, but guys like Ben Caspi. They're generally negative about politicians, uh, tend to be more negative about people on the right, but they kind of have a, a normal equilibrium. Uh, but he has just been on fire about how horrible Bibi Netanyahu is. He's a horrible guy. He's absolutely atrocious. He's, he's bad for Israel and this kind of thing. Uh, there are a lot of thought leaders in Israel, cultural leaders, former generals, political leaders, very important people who don't like Bibi. And so, you know, there are a lot of people in the culture who don't. You know, we get the same thing over here. A lot of people don't like Donald Trump. A lot of people don't like Joe Biden. But, I mean, that's politics. But the, the hate, it's very, vitri- you know, very violent uh, uh, hatred. So, in any case, um, uh, Itai wanted to clarify those points. And then on this kind of a last point, okay, Itai is a former military officer and a reservist. And as he's pointed out, Israel relies very heavily on its reserves. And it's it's difficult to understand the role the reserves play in Israel uh, because it's a country that is under siege. I mean, it's surrounded by hostile powers. You know, in Syria, you have the Syrian government of, of Bashar al-Assad that, that is anti-Israel, wants Israel's destruction. You have uh, the Hezbollah terrorist organization financed by Iran, uh, who also want to destroy Israel. They're in Lebanon and Syria, right? You have Russia, wonderful people, those. Uh, and you have all kinds of Al-Qaeda, all kinds of terrorist groups. Then you have the Palestinian, you know, PLO, or you, the, um, you have the uh, Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine, PLFP, up in Lebanon. You know, you know all, the, all the Palestinian terrorist groups that you have up there, okay? And then in, in Judea and Samaria and in Gaza, right? Hamas, right? You get all that. And then you've got, you know, hostile powers like Iran out there trying to agitate. Um, so Israel is constantly under siege. We don't need reserves the way Israel needs reserves in the U.S. In the U.S. right now, and I'm not going to say it's perfectly the case, but if we had a scramble, if Russian, if we, if we thought Russia was about to you know, launch their nukes or uh, launch a full-scale attack on the United States. So they really wouldn't be. So let's use China as an example. Uh, let's say China. We had good inside intel info that China might attack us in the next few days. We could put a fighter pilot in almost every single fighter plane we have, a professional, full-time, active-duty pilot, and send those guys out, right? And so the first wave, the, the edge of the sword, leading edge of the sword for the United States are always going to be active duty pilots, active duty soldiers, sailors, Marines, right? Our active duty people are the ones who are out there uh, doing all this stuff. Israel doesn't have the same situation. They rely on their reserve pilots to fly patrols and uh, keep the the skies clear. Uh, they have a, They would not be able to put an active duty Air Force pilot in every single plane that they have available, right? They would have to get reservists. They have to have reservists coming in on regular rotation. If those reservists are refusing to serve, refusing to come in for training, refusing to fly planes, right? They feel very strongly then 
that something is wrong with the country, as Itai pointed out. Like, he had never, ever thought in the entirety of his entire career, he's had various prime ministers he's served in the military under, he's never had the thought cross his mind that I won't serve this PM. Right? And, and those of us who have been in the military, I mean, we've had presidents, you know, we've all, we've all had them. <laughs> presidents that we didn't like, right? But, uh, you know, the idea that you'd sit there and be like, well, I won't serve this president. I mean, we've had bad presidents, but that's not the way... Our military works. We have a constitution. We have elections. The electoral college votes. Whoever's elected president, that person gives gets to give the orders, whether we like them or not. Okay, um, you know, and and he wanted to note, of course, these reservists volunteer on their own dime. A lot of them. Uh, so you know, they some of them live outside of Israel. They fly back to Israel on their own. You know, they don't get flown back by the government. They fly back on their own recognizance, pay for their own bills, and then go and do training and stuff to, to stay up. You know, so they do a lot of that. These are people who are very committed to Israel's defense. They're veterans. They're reservists. They continue to be active in serving Israel. And a lot of them are special forces reservists who can't even talk about the things that they've done for their country. And they are refusing to serve. They're writing letters saying that if called upon, they won't serve. Now... I suppose it depends on the emergency, you know, with Iran attacks, you know, there's, but the point is they don't want to, right? They don't want to serve this government. They don't want to serve it because it's messing with the judiciary, because they don't trust them. They don't trust them as they are, but that they're also dealing with the judiciary. You know, that said, the Israeli constitutional system, since Israel has no constitution, the structure of the government, as I've explained before, is a sovereign parliament. Therefore, parliament can do whatever it wants. So they passed this bill saying that the Supreme Court can no longer use this reasonableness standard that they've used for a long time to overturn government policies. Right. And that they've gotten away with it, you know, but um, the, the Supreme Court now can no longer use that that standard, they're going to have to come up with something else uh, or try to strike down that amendment to the basic law. If they do that, that's going to be a big mess. And I'll talk about that in a future episode. All right, we also have another... Uh, Son of a Mensch episode, <laughs> another another little uh, segment on that, because uh, now son, now you're messing with the Son of a Mensch again. Uh, in the meantime, since I, I was able to record last time, we've had this incident at University of Pennsylvania, and I've got so many layers here. I'm I'm I, I almost don't have words. I, it makes me so angry. Uh, me, your gregarious Vulcan, losing my composure. You know, losing my cool. I'm going full pawn far on, on this one because this kind of thing ticks me off. University of Pennsylvania had an event prepared for uh, to have a bunch of anti-Israel red anti-Semitic speakers come to campus. And I uh, this this is the part that irks me. They always do this. Uh, it was done at uh, other. It's been done at, at Princeton and a couple other places in the past. They had uh, Ahmadinejad come one year. The, the president of Iran, and the guy was a total... Anyway. Uh, I'm going to... Like I said, I'm going full full bore here. I am ticked. Uh, they do these things. They schedule these events on Yom Kippur. 
And they do this deliberately. They know that on Yom Kippur, even <clears throat> the, I want to say secular Jews, even the, the those Jews who are not especially religious on Yom Kippur, they're generally engaged in religious activities. It's a very holy day, right? So imagine somebody holding an event about how, you know, it's basically kill the Christians on the 25th of December, right, at a university. There's an anti-Christian event on the 25th of December. Where are all the Christians going to be? Right? They're not going to be wherever that is protesting. They're going to be at home with their families on their holiday. Just like Jews are going to be at home fasting, most of us, doing our thing on Yom Kippur. We just had this Yom Kippur, and, and I hope everyone had a good fast. Um, and, and we're all in the book of life for another year. Let's, let's, uh, this, is, this is all good, right? Life is good. But <laughs> we have this event. Oh, this kind of thing. And, and um, you know, they, they do this deliberately again so that the Jewish students couldn't, uh, you know, be present. And it creates this atmosphere of hostility toward Jews leading up to Yom Kippur. So it's just a way to ruin our holiday. It, it is so anti-Semitic. It is so Nazi. It is so infuriating because these people don't, I mean, they just, you know, they, they're, they're, they're trying to turn the University of Pennsylvania into Auschwitz, into Treblinka. They're, they're trying to create an atmosphere where Jews aren't welcome, where they can attack Israel, where they can call for the murder of Jews, the mass murder of Jews, and couch it in polite language on a day when we can't even be there to answer them. To call them out on their BS. So now you're messing with the son of a mensch. Drives me nuts. I cannot stand these people. One of the people they invited was Roger Waters from uh, Pink Floyd, a, a, an infamous anti-Semite, a guy who did a concert in Germany where he was dressed up as an SS officer. And I mean, the guy is sick. I, I mean, if he if he went to an asylum, which is where he belongs, if he went to an asylum. Or, or, you know, at least a retreat. If he just disappeared for a while and said, look, I'm nuts. I've lost my mind. I need to go away and, and I'll come back when I'm feeling better. There might be some forgiveness out there. Maybe. Okay. But the guy is sick. The guy is, is practically a Nazi. I mean, he's, he's terrifying that, that these sick fruitcakes. Um, I mean, he's been an anti-Semite for a very long time. This is nothing new. Uh, but, you know, and then he's out there, you know, you know, me anti-Semitic. Oh, that's I'm hurt. Why would I be anti-Semitic? Maybe because you dressed up like an SS officer at a German concert. Maybe because you're comparing Israel to the Nazis. Right. Maybe because you're an infamous anti-Semite. You know, you're like you're Charles Lindbergh. You're Heinrich Himmler without the murder. I mean, you know, he hasn't he hasn't killed as many people as Heinrich Himmler. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't go so far. But you can see why I'm going so far. You can see why it, it drives me nuts. Uh, and apparently he wasn't able to attend at University of Pennsylvania because he was banned from the campus for his anti-Semitism, or at least that's a claim. Although the, the University of Pennsylvania has challenged that claim. In any case, for whatever reason, Roger Waters didn't show up. So just just wow. You know, let's have a... Uh, a, a kill the Jews event, a Jewish hate fest, you know, let's, let's feast on, on the blood of Jews, right? And the, uh, call, call out the, you know, the blood libel and, and, and celebrate how uh, much we hate the Jews on Yom Kippur when the Jews can't be out there to challenge us and, uh, you know, uh, all that, all that stuff. Whew. Oh, oh, you know, I just... Like, whoever organized the event, I, I, I don't know who these people are, but it's like, I, I want somebody to come out and meet me at, you know, high noon in Main Street, 
You know what I'm saying? Let's let's go a few rounds with the fists or something because these people need to have some sense knocked into them, right? This is dangerous stuff, my friends. Dangerous, okay? When you dehumanize people, when you call for murder, even if you couch it in polite language of, of Marxist, flowery Marxist, oh, we're, we're not anti-Israel, we're pro-Palestinian. We support the Palestinians killing the Jews. We don't want to kill the Jews. We, we want the Palestinians to kill the Jews. They'll do all the murder. The blood will be on their hands, right? It's like, you know, Charles Lindbergh didn't support you know, he, he didn't cause the Holocaust. He just supported the guy who gave the orders, right? No blood on his hands, right? He's just out there running around in America in the 1940s saying, hey, this Hitler guy isn't so bad. It's the Jews and the communists. They're conspiring against Hitler. He's, you know, I guess I tell you, it, it really ticks me off. And uh, now they're messing with the son of a mensch. So I'm calling them out, all of them. Bunch of anti-Semitic fruitcakes. Dangerous stuff. And it's especially dangerous for the Jews because we get the blame for everything. We rule the world. We, we conspire. We're devious, conniving, sniveling trolls who eat the blood of, of babies and, and have blood matzah and secret space lasers. And we control the banks and the finances and the economy. And we, we run the world. You know, when, when people get these, these conspiracy theories, I hear all this all, all the time. I mean, you know, you, so I'm going to close with this. You know, you, you'll hear people say, you know, oh, it's the Rothschilds who run the world. When you hear that or, or hear somebody talk about the elders of Zion, point out that, first of all, all of that is, is early 20th century Russian imperial propaganda used to justify pogroms. That is literally used to justify the murder of Jews. The day it was inked, the ink dried on the page, it was being used to murder Jews. Uh, and then it was all picked up by one Adolf Hitler and Heinrich Himmler and all those lovely people and, and, and Josef Goebbels out there running around with his, his propaganda about you know, all the Jews and all of the conspiracies and, you know, to cleanse the world of the Jewish disease, right? Um, these people used all of that propaganda to justify the Holocaust. So if you're out there and you hear somebody say, you know, uh, the Rothschilds rule the world or, or you know, the elders of Zion is all a Jewish conspiracy. Point out to them that by saying that they are justifying the Holocaust. Right. You see that picture? Pull it up on your phone. You see that picture with Ike Eisenhower and a pile of bodies behind him? Yeah, you're you're agreeing with that. You're saying you're for that. You're dehumanizing Jews. You're making us the bad guys. And we're always the bad guys. To the to the communist, the Jew is a capitalist. To the capitalist, the Jew is a communist. To the to the you know increasingly racist left, Marxist left. We're we're you know racist Marxist left. There, there are a lot of everything. We're we're white, right? Whatever's bad, we're that. You know, if tomorrow they decided that people who eat ice cream are the worst people in the world, it's the Jews. They're the ones eating the ice cream. Gotta get those Jews. You know, white privilege starts with the Jews. Jewish privilege and. It, it's always us. We're always the target. Okay. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. We're in a time of, of people dehumanizing others left and right. It needs to stop. All right. Human life is sacred. I believe that because I'm a Jew. We spend this last month, you know, these, these holidays we have in the autumn talking about this the idea of the book of life, about how important life is to us. Life is sacred. Okay, and Christianity believes the same thing, right? 
Jews and Christians agree about this. Life is sacred, right? Life, not death, not dehumanizing people, not murdering people. We are supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to love our fellow like ourselves, right? It's, it's my job as a person to defend my neighbor's life, to defend his freedom or her freedom, you know, his gender neutral. <laughs> the, the masculine pronouns used to be gender neutral before we all went nuts. In any case, okay, life is sacred and we should not dehumanize others. So if you hear people talking about this, if you hear the Rothschild, if you hear the elders of Zion, you hear any of that stuff, let them know that uh, they're justifying the Holocaust. Time to take off your swastika. That, that swastika flag that you have, that you've been hiding under your bed, take it out and burn it. Okay? Set fire to it. You know? You might want to hit yourself in the head a couple of times because obviously you've got a few screws loose in there. Maybe you'll knock them into place. Uh, it, it, you know, if, if you're justifying the mass murder of another group of people, if you're justifying the dehumanizing of people and you're, you're basically justifying the Holocaust, you, you need to straighten yourself out. You need, you need help. This is Inside Israel News, and I will happily help you. I'm doing it right now. I will straighten you out. You tell me where we can meet uh, at high noon, and I will straighten you out. Because uh, you're dealing with a, you're messing with a son of a mensch. I'm, I'm that six-foot-tall Jew that, you know, when, when people find out I'm Jewish, and then they look up, and they keep looking up, and they keep looking up. We're not all small. The, the stereotypical, you know, sniveling, conniving troll, right? Uh, we don't all look like that. So... Anyway, you know, I keep saying this, you know, if, if you didn't laugh, you'd scream. Uh, one of the things that, that is really important to me about Jewish culture, I was talking about, you know, what's a Lonsman, is that we have a good sense of humor. We have a good sense of humor about ourselves and our situation and that. And we can have a good laugh, right? Um, you know, we, 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 can, we can joke amongst ourselves. Uh, you know, the humor of, of Mel, uh, Mel Brooks and, and his, his films is based broadly on, on Jewish humor and, and that kind of thing. And a lot of Jewish jokes in his uh, comedy. Uh, you know, we have a good sense of, of humor about it. We have to have a laugh. Okay. So, you know, I want to bring it down and end it on a, a, a less intense note as I'm standing here, you know, pounding my fist like Oliver Cromwell marching around the parliament. Uh, and oh, how I, I wish I had my iron sides to go out and purge some of the fruit. I mean, you know, there are dangerous people out there, my friends. Now, we live in a free society and they have to be able to say what they say so that we can call them out for being dangerous. But too many of them say dangerous and destructive things and then get away with it. Right. Um, too many and get reelected. You know, you, you can say anti-Semitic things in America and get reelected. You know, people will love you for it. You know, ask Rashida Tlaib. Right. Uh, ask Ilhan Omar. Ask uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right. Ask her. All of these people, anti-Semites, got reelected. Marjorie Taylor Greene made some stupid comments, too. I've called it out and I've said I, I hope that Georgia gets a better congresswoman, uh, that, that particular district in Georgia. Nevertheless, I will note that when she was called out for her Jewish Space Lasers tweet that was from years ago, she immediately apologized and attempted repentance as a Jew. I believe, and from what I gather from my Christian friends, we believe in the power of redemption. People can change, right? So if the first thing, you have to acknowledge that what you did was wrong and apologize for it and hate it and never do it again and learn to behave yourself. Repent, right? Choose a different path. I can at least say with confidence that Marjorie Taylor Greene has repented 
And I am willing to forgive up to a certain point. Should that person be in Congress? That I don't think so. But I can, I can offer forgiveness on, on a certain level, right? Uh, but I can't forgive those who, who don't know what they did was wrong or who think that, you know, they got away with it. So AOC, Omar, Tayyib, these people, uh, these infamous anti-Semites, right? People reelect them. People love them and celebrate them for their anti-Semitism. RFK, too. So um, he's, he's gaining a lot of popularity in the populist left. Um, but he's, he's made a few anti-Semitic gaffes himself. And, you know, he's good friends with Louis Farrakhan, who called Jews termites. So <clears throat> we have to... <laughs> We have to have a good sense of humor, though, you know, so uh, there's a there's a great scene. There's a, a really great Mel Brooks movie. I, I highly recommend it to be or not to be. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, you know, uh, it, it, you know, you've always wanted to play Shylock. Uh, it's a it's a great thing. There's, there's a scene, you know, he finds Jews hiding in his basement one day and a couple days later or the next day later. You know, he comes back down and they and they open the curtains and instead of a handful of Jews, there there's a whole room full, and he's like, "What are they Jews or are they rabbits?" So it's uh, you know it's the it's the humor you have to have. This movie makes a little bit of fun about the Nazis and the Holocaust and the horrors that that we uh, endured because we want to have a good sense of humor. And like I said, if you if you didn't laugh, you would scream. My friends, the Jewish population just recovered from the Holocaust, all right? It's the 21st century, and we have just, as a population, as a people, regained the numbers from what happened in the middle of the last century, all right? It hurts. It still hurts, okay? And the, the world looked the other way. Uh, even the U.S. refused to take in uh, refugees, uh, FDR, another infamous anti-Semite, and uh, a number of his uh, lackeys, people like Harry Hopkins, uh, infamous, notorious anti-Semites. Uh, these people, you know, really had no interest in helping Jews. Oh, you know, Albert Einstein, Robert, you know, Robert Oppenheimer, uh, Fermi, you know, the Jews who knew how to make bombs and, uh, you know, very special weapons. Uh, those guys, they, they brought in, but the rest, you know, left behind. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain still there. Uh, friend of mine, good friend of mine relates this story, uh, about, uh, all of that, that, uh, you know, his family was in Romania and when they were being forced out of Romania, a Romanian soldier took his, his rifle and hit, uh, their baby, the, the, the child in the head with the rifle created an indentation. And, you know, that woman was his grandmother. His grandmother grew up with a dent in her head from the butt of a rifle of a Romanian soldier doing the Nazis' dirty work for them. So, you know, that's still a horror. And then we have, you know, the Canadian Parliament giving a standing ovation to a Nazi collaborator. Wow. <laughs> Unfortunately, that supports the, the Russian narrative, and I, I understand that. And I'm willing to, to say at least that unfortunately for Ukraine, the only people who have come to, you know, attack Ukraine during the reign of Stalin and all that, they, they had just undergone the Holodormer. The, the people of Ukraine had just been put to their own mass murder 
uh, and mass destruction. You know, another, you know, somewhere between four and seven million people starved to death deliberately. Uh, Mr. Jones was a movie about that recent that came out recently. Like Hollywood has finally discovered that the Soviet Union was bad. You know, they were always, you know, making, a, a, you know, the Soviet Union are moral equals in the movies back in the 70s and 80s. Now we've uh, guess what? <laughs> we're surprised. Uh, yeah, the Soviet Union turned out to be a really horrible thing. Anyway, um, you know, and, and a lot of those Ukrainians who sought liberation from the Soviet Union collaborated with the Nazis uh, and joined the SS like a lot of people did uh, and, uh, you know, served in concentration camps and such. Uh, so it, it's a it's an unfortunate history. But these people are war criminals. These people are people who contributed to mass murder. They are not national heroes. They're not people who deserve a standing ovation from the Canadian Parliament. They're people who deserve a jail cell and should have been in a jail cell a long time ago. Uh, and I just talked about the power of redemption. You know, there there could be some value to repentance, to coming out and saying, you know, I did horrible things and I shouldn't have done it. At least then there'd be that, okay? But as I've said, I mean, the, the Holocaust still hurts. It's still horror. And we're still being dehumanized and still being attacked. And the same propaganda is being slung around about us even today. So try to have a good sense of humor out there, my friends. I will have more news for you in uh, a short time here. I just wanted to get this listener episode out and some of the really infuriating things that I needed to talk about here. Uh, and... Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have a, hopefully <laughs> we're going to have a good week and, and, and that. I'm going to enjoy my Sukkot Hag Sameach out there. Uh, enjoy your, your holiday and, uh, have a blessed, a blessed holiday. And for everyone else, uh, it, it is an honor and a pleasure to bring this show to you. And I, I'm glad that you listen. I'm, I'm really grateful. I just wanted to, to end by thanking all of you who do listen uh, and uh, who have offered feedback, especially, uh, I appreciate it. I am trying to be more entertaining and uh, maybe a little less intense, but some of this stuff gets pretty, you know, <laughs> son of a mensch. It gets really son of a mensch out here. So <laughs> it's, it's really bad in any case. Uh, I appreciate it, and I will continue to make episodes and make sure that you guys know absolutely everything that's going on in the world and the trends and, and all that stuff so that you understand what's coming as well as what's happening. Uh, and of course, you know, I'm a history buff, so you'll hear a lot about what happened. You'll hear a lot about the past. Anyway, uh, much love for all of you. Uh, hope that you have a great week and uh, many blessings. With that, I will say as always, goodbye. The heat